powered up. We have had to conform to a certain social game. And so we are in a constant state of competition. In terms of that competition, we can, of course, lose place. And in that sense, make mistakes. This is the secret. You can't make a mistake. Welcome, everybody, to Friends of Failure. I'm your host, Sam, and this is my co-host, Megan. Hey, yo. Uh, I would like to introduce you to this week's guest. That's Stephen uh, Demit. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You know, for, for those who can't see, right, we have people watching, but we also have people <laughs> just listening. Stephen, you're, you're currently recording from a van. I am. This is my, this is my home, my bedroom, my kitchen my vehicle for getting to the climbing area, my podcast studio, um, all in one. I've been living in the van for two and a half years. That's wild. Um, it's impressive. Well, yeah. Yeah. I super grateful you were able to jump on today. I'm sure that was a task in itself, right? Uh, <laughs> living in a van uh, doesn't come with its own, you know, AT&T or charter or whatever internet service, right? <laughs> It doesn't, but you know, technology makes it so easy. It's actually kind of remarkable what you can do um, working from anywhere these days. But I mean, as you guys can see, the people that are watching and uh, and you, Sam and Megan, it's pretty comfy. Like it's a pretty bougie yeah. setup, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel more comfortable in this van. I had a friend of mine, a professional, build it out for me, and he did an amazing job. And um, you know, I've rented spare rooms from friends that were the same or, or less comfortable than this it's mm -hmm. it's great so yeah i'm loving this lifestyle it it seems pretty crazy whenever you haven't tried it right or like even even something like an rv i don't know what it would be like to live in an rv 20 or sorry i was gonna say 24 7 uh, <laughs> as if i'd never leave the rv right i'm just like <laughs> locked in there it's a mtv reality show um but you know if that was my sole ability to travel and that was home yeah i wouldn't know the things that come with that until i started doing it in real time i think but i i have watched a couple of youtube videos about you know hashtag van life and i think it's it's something that's worth exploring if you have like the the heart for it you know uh, i don't think it's for everybody and i bet you would probably agree right yeah i, I definitely would and i think the the key in my mind is like using it as a tool to enable a lifestyle that you want to do that's not just van life itself. Like for me, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but I am an obsessed rock climber. Like that is that is my thing. That's what I want to do with every spare minute of my day. I've built my whole lifestyle and my career around it at this point. And so van life is critical to enabling me to chase the climbing weather year round and climb where I want to climb. And that's awesome. But I do get questions about this from people that don't have something like that. Like they don't have rock climbing. They don't, they're not trying to, I don't know, be year round snowboarders or skiers or anything like this. They just think van life is interesting and attractive for its own sake. And that I haven't seen that be very successful for most people, because at the end of the day, it's like, 
you live in this tiny little house. Um, sometimes you get to stay in really cool places, but yeah, if you don't have something driving you, it's like anything else. It's like, what, what, yeah. how are we going to fill my days? You know, and if you have to work full time while you're doing it, that can be a real pain in the ass. So there has to be something else that makes it worth it. I think it, that makes really, sense. Yeah. It has to match your lifestyle and there has to be some kind of passion. You don't just go, Oh, this looks cool. I saw people do it. I'm, I'm going to do it for no reason other than that. <laughs> yeah. There's, I think the, there's... I think the influencing only holds its appeal for so long, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, well, there's two things. One, being able to find something that you're so passionate about that you go, this is it recognizing that and then conditioning everything around it. Right. That that's pretty amazing. But then the other thing too, is just that, that reality of, Hey, you know, if it's something you want to try great, but if you don't have the, the right reasons to, to do it, it's going to get old eventually. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like from the way you described it, rock climbing, you do it every single day. No, I don't. Okay. I, I don't. I mean, I, I probably would if my body could handle it, but right. it's so physically demanding. It's really hard on your tendons, on your muscles, but also on your skin. Like you have a limitation with how many times you can grab onto these little edges of rock mm -hmm. and things like this. So yeah, I need a lot of rest days. Um, imagine like it's kind of like high-end gymnastics, but in a much more free form way right like it's this it's similar strengths and movements but applied to the side of a, a rock face and it's just physically exhausting so i typically climb four days a week something like that three or four days a week yeah. depending on where i am and the style of climbing but i really like that i think i think having something to balance it with like i, I work on the podcast now and that is very mentally stimulating, but very physically restful. And that's an awesome mm. compliment. And it's, it's really fun to finish a climbing day and kind of be looking forward to a rest day. Cause I get to do something really interesting and fun and create something yeah. and then finish my rest day and be really amped to climb again. So. I was going to ask if you would take a second to talk about the podcast and did you create your podcast because because it worked around your passion and uh, I guess we'll call it an obsession with rock climbing and how much of the podcast is about climbing the whole thing. Yeah. I'll uh, back up a couple steps and fill in some context. So um, I'm 32 years old now. I grew up in the Northwest and had a very normal upbringing, you know, did normal sports, soccer, baseball, things like that. I did love the outdoors and got to go back backpacking and mountain biking and things with my family. But um, my life changed as, as far as my life relates to this conversation in the podcast that kind of started when I was 18 years old, I went to college and discovered rock climbing and just fell in love with it. And I studied engineering. I didn't really foresee, I'm not a professional climber. You know, I started a little too late to be at the, the highest end of climbing. Um, those are the people that I interview now on my podcast are like the world-class climbers and they're in a totally different league than me but i had that same level of like this is the thing that i want to do with every spare second uh but i was an engineer so my you know most of my 20s i moved to oregon worked as an engineer and had a nine to five and just found a, you know i was working in aerospace like totally unrelated to climbing but just found a job that afforded me more or less the lifestyle that I wanted, you know, I was able to train at the climbing gym in the evenings after work. And I was able to climb all weekend at Smith rock state park, which is 
which is kind of a world destination climbing area, 30 minutes from where I was living in Bend, Oregon at the time. So most of my twenties, that was kind of my framework. It wasn't fully fulfilling. Like I always wanted a better work life or work play balance. And I was just the guy that was, I've always been obsessed with not just climbing, but progression. Like I really want to get better. I really want to challenge myself and improve. And, you know, I've really geeked out on physical training and studying other sports like gymnastics and studying what the high-end climbers were doing within climbing. Cause it's a newer sport. There's not really much information about how, what, what are the best ways to train as rock climbers to get better. And I would just sit in my cubicle as an engineer and just obsessively listen to podcasts and after years of doing that, it, I don't really know exactly why it clicked because I'm pretty introverted and never imagined myself starting a podcast or, or being you know, a public person in really any way. That, that wasn't something that I ever sought or wanted, but it just kind of clicked one day that there was a climbing podcast that combined this kind of level of geekiness about training and performance that really interested me paired with just a deep curiosity in people and what makes them tick and you know how they became who they became and, and what they've learned along the way. There was a podcast that, that was like that, that didn't exist that I really wanted to listen to. And it kind of hit me like, I think I can make that. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm connected to enough people at this point. I've done this long enough. I think I know how to ask the right questions and just decided to go for it. I had no idea if anyone would want to listen to it, but I figured... I wanted to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I would try my best to make the thing and it would be the most fun I'd ever had. So I saved up money and about two years ago, I left my engineering job, had enough money to just do this van life thing and live on the road and cl- I climb full time, you know? So do that and have fun climbing for my own sake for at least a year and then just pour all of my other energy into this podcast and just have fun with it and see what, what it became. And to my surprise it um it just clicked it resonated with a lot of other people that had that same kind of want or that need like um there there was a there was a hole you know there was like some information in a show that a lot of other people wanted that they didn't you know they weren't asking for but a lot of people are resonating with it and at this point it's it's just awesome it's sustaining this lifestyle and it's the most fun i've ever had and i get to i get to do that for a job so i mean what what better way to okay, I, I literally, even if I wanted to, can't climb all the time, fill it in with... More right, climbing we'll talk, in a different way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's well, exactly. you know what? yeah. now we're going to talk about climbing leading up to the actual climbing. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah uh, I'm really stoked for you. And I think I think you, you brought up kind of a good point or something that I've thought about before. Whenever quarantine happened, I started to just, for funsies, look at what did it mean to go viral and what did it mean to run Instagram or tick, not really TikTok at the time, but Instagram or people that have created content and gotten to a point where they make money off of it. Right. And a lot of those people, even though it seems like they're just kind of being goofy on camera and then they're posting it, they're creating stuff that they would want to consume. And so they are already kind of in a thought process of like, okay, how would I, make that better and what would make me like it more and so for you already having a natural passion I feel you know you would just naturally kind of create the space 
in your conversations or, you know, the people that you would attract to the podcast. And I, I'm sure you've had to put in work, right. But there's also kind of been hopefully like a flow for you, but I do have to ask that question, you know, how long have you been doing the podcast? Almost exactly two years. Yeah. Okay. So, so, you know, right out the gate or maybe in your first six months or even in, uh, let's say the year mark, were there any failures that you had to kind of deal with during the growing of this podcast or were you really fortunate and you just started it and they were like, here's the golden ticket, rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) We're all looking for that, right? The golden ticket of it's just, Hey, skip the learning curve. You're in it. Let's go. Right. I don't think it was that. I mean, it it certainly wasn't a booming success right off the bat. No one knew, no one knew who I was, you know, like Mm -hmm. my friends knew and I, I had, the climbing community is very small. So I did have many firsthand connections to really high level climbers. And that was really helpful initially to interview friends of mine, you know, who, who were very much worth talking to, uh, who were elite performers in their own right. But yeah, no one knew who I was, you know, um, if a celebrity these days decides to start a podcast, they have a massive following that they're immediately Mm -hmm. tapped into. And I, I had to kind of slowly leverage the interest in the following of all my guests and try to just network from one person to the next, to the next. And, you know, with, with each new guest that was a higher profile climber than me, I was just kind of tapping into a new audience that was like the perfect audience, people that were already really interested in performance rock climbing, but it was a slow drip. And it was, um, like I said, I didn't need for it to work. I just wanted to do it. And I had a lot of fun. So I still worked really hard at it. It's kind of, I don't know if this is a Cal Newport idea, but it's that like, make it till you make it thing. You know, I just decided I'm going to put out an episode every Monday until I run out of money and can't anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, it took a long time. I mean, it was, you know, I started in February and I didn't really see it kind of catch and start to grow in like an exponential way until October, maybe that first year. So, you know, and in a way that's not very long in a way, it also feels like a very long time because you're essentially working full time every week and not making any money. You're like volunteering 30 or 40 hours a week for 10 months without seeing any money come in. Um, But I was, I had enough money in the bank to keep going and I was loving my lifestyle and I had a lot of fun doing it and I had nothing else to do on rest days anyway. Yeah. So I just kept making it and the response was really positive. Like the people that were listening, I could tell they were, there were a lot of kind of fanatic, like diehard fans that had the same geeky, nerdy, like climbing curiosity that I had. So I I just loved making it for those people, you know? Yeah. And I, I didn't know how many of them were out there, but yeah, it's, I've, I've tried a lot of other things in the past. You know, I had those years working as an engineer and just was starting to wonder if there was like a way I could create something or create a business or just break myself out of this nine to five framework. Yeah. And I, um, I tried several things that didn't work that well. And I always felt like I had decent ideas, but I was like trying to push a boulder up the hill, you know, like, come on, just any, any minute I'll like crest the top of the hill and it'll take off. And they never did. And with the podcast, I think because there was more, um, I think the word that resonates a lot is alignment. Like it was really just aligned with 
my curiosity, like my, my authentic interest. I just really, really wanted to make this thing uh, the best I possibly could. Uh, it just felt like pushing a boulder down a hill and it's just picked up speed and, and taken off. Yeah. I, I really like how you bring up the point of it's not like Sam said earlier, it's not always viral. It's not always the first episode is just a hit and you're running from the start. It's typically something you build on. Um, you kind of slowly go over time, whether it's networking or just building, like honing your craft. I'm sure with climbing too, you weren't great at first. And then eventually, you know, you get better, you pick stuff up, you learn tips from other people. It's the same kind of thing. Um, and just for our listeners and audience, a reminder of more often than not, it's going to be that slow drip. It is not going to be like instant success that you kind of see in the media or in other people. And I think that's great to point out. And then also just back to having a reason to doing something, that uh, authentic piece of it. People resonate with that a lot more. And I think they can pick up on it when people put out you know, content or a product, whatever it is, if you actually care about it. If you're not just a salesman going, hey, I built a spaceship. I don't really like space or the thought of you know, going into it. No one's going to care that much. You're, you're not going to be Elon Musk. But if you're like, hey, I love rock climbing, I bleed that, I will travel the country for it. You want to have a conversation about it. People are going to get really into that. They're, you're going to find, like you said, kind of your tribe, the people that have a similar thought process on things. I, I really pick up on that. I also would say that maybe, maybe it was an immediate success because you kind of found the answer to being creative in a space where it's something you really enjoy, right? Mm. Um, but I, I guess that I, the only question I would have to ask, and you know, it's just throwing it out there. I don't think any of us have the answer. How many podcasts would really succeed just strictly out of like, Hey, I've got an idea. Let's do a podcast and make money off of it. Right. I think that people who have that fan base, the cult following almost the diehards, it's because everyone's genuinely enjoying the vibration of that podcast, right? Partially the topic, but also, you know, you can tell when someone's about it, you know, whether it's rock climbing, failure, I don't know, mining for gold, right? If (laughs) If you're talking about a topic that everyone is genuinely about and genuinely in the conversation, I think people just enjoy absorbing that, you know? Yeah, you can feel the difference, can't you? Like I I talk about this a lot. I don't know anybody. I can't think of anybody who is really excellent at their thing, whether that's climbing or their own craft or some creative outlet or something without loving it, you know? Like I I the, the people that sit around like, "Oh, what should I try? What what could I maybe be good at?" It's like that's not the right strategy. It doesn't work that, that way. You know, the p- people that are really really good it's because they're obsessed. They love it. You know, and maybe that love grew in time. Uh, it might not have happened all at once. And probably they also put in the work, but you can't force that kind of stuff, I think, you know, and, and that was my mistake for a long time was sitting in my engineering cubicle with like a sheet of legal paper, just brainstorming business ideas, trying to come up with things that I thought other people would like. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was looking in all the wrong places because I was in, I was an engineer. I'd let myself uh, put myself in a box kind of mentally that limited me. Like what is some physical product I can design 
et cetera, et cetera. And it never considered, I mean, it took years for it to kind of click for this idea to even hit me that, that I could, you know, talk to people and, and that people would be interested in hearing my voice. Like that was really uncomfortable for me as someone who was always kind of introverted and um, really comfortable doing my own thing and just had kind of my own vision for what I wanted to do. So yeah, it's, but it's just interesting to kind of zoom out and look at my life and look at all the things I had done up to that point. Like the podcast is actually this perfect conglomeration of all these different skill sets that I actually, that were right in front of me, but I just wasn't seeing them. You know, I wasn't looking in the right places. I was kind of thinking what kind of successful climbing business should an, uh, an engineer create, you know, I was kind of stuck on that. Yeah. You were trying to fit the old and the new together. And sometimes what people fail to do or just fail to see is you don't have to be in that box that you put yourself in or society put yourself in. Cause I feel that too. I, I got like a business degree. So I'm, I was constantly thinking of like, what business could I start? What thing could I do? Store could I own? Something like that. And then that's eventually just evolved into, I never cared enough about any of those to follow through, like to make it an actual thing. Um, And that led me more to, well, what am I passionate about? What do I actually believe in? And that's why we're here today pretty much is I found someone else who's on the similar kind of, you know, vibration and path and wants to talk about uncomfortable things with strangers. And like you said, uh, connect with people. We both realize we like doing that um, and we can step outside of our normal box and do that. And you came from a successful career in a completely different field and you had to go, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to, I'm going to go into something unknown. Um, and that's scary. That fear of failing. How did that, how did you approach that? Cause I know you said you had like two years. What was your plan if it didn't work? Like if it all did kind of crumble at the end? Yeah. I don't know if I had one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had saved enough for one year at least. And uh, it was an arbitrary amount of money. I just, I remember I had a conversation with my friend Lizzie and she had done that. Like she had left a job and lived in a van and climbed for a year. And I was like, how much money did you have saved up before you did that? And she told me, and I was like, cool, that's how much I'm going to save. And that was it. And um, I just, I mean, again, I just, I had no idea if I would be any good at this. And I, I don't think I had any, um, ego attached to it because I just, I don't know, like who, like I had no experience. Who was I to just assume that I'd be able to create a successful podcast? I had no background in journalism or radio or anything like that. I'd st- I did a lot of music. So there's like these different elements I was able to draw on, but there was, um, you know, there were some other podcasts, climbing podcasts out there that just weren't meeting my needs. And I figured, my mission was to just try to create the podcast I really wanted to listen to, keep working on my craft, um, take feedback from people, learn with each and every episode. It was really easy to stay motivated because I genuinely, from the start, I genuinely was learning things from these people that I was able to apply to my own climbing. So like if this whole project just ended up being like a selfish year of absorbing like coaching advice from all these amazing mentors it wasn't that that's bad, a yeah. that's a win you know <laughs> yeah. and, and then i'd figure it out like when the time came i kind of uh i traveled for a year and i i always asked people 
because I meet so many climbers out there who are doing the same thing. They're living in a van. They're, they've found a way to climb full time. Of course, the whole thing is like flipped on its head now with COVID. Uh, a lot of people just have their old jobs. But I just have always been curious. Like I would sit around the fire with people and or climb with them at the crag and just pick their brain. Like, how is it that you found this path? You know, what's working for you? How are you making money? So I was kind of collecting backup plans. You know, um, I thought if this didn't work, I would get a job as a, a rigger and, you know, like paint stadiums or wh whatever people <laughs> do, um, do some seasonal thing. I, mm -hmm. I could always go back to engineering. I knew I could. I, didn't, I tried not to burn any bridges with my old companies and things like that. But yeah, I guess I figured as far as the fear goes, it felt, and this is something I got from, from Tim Ferriss, this like fear exercise where you really try to envision um, what might happen if you succeed versus the real risk of staying exactly where you're at, you know, like oh, yeah. what, what might happen if everything goes wrong? How hard would it be to get back to where I am? Contrast that with, well, I'm here now and I'm not that psyched. Like I'm not that happy on my current lifestyle. So if I stay here, that's already kind of a loss. Is it really going to be worse if I take this leap and fall on my face? Yeah, probably not. Like I'll learn a lot. I'll probably at least be able to get back to where I am now maybe in a, you know, a different cubicle at someone else's company, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just felt like there wasn't a lot to lose, but I also built a safety net for myself. Like I said, like, I didn't just say, fuck it. And, you know, <laughs> quit your job like, and yeah, set, yeah. set my desk on fire and like leave with my fingers up in the air or anything like that. <laughs> um, but it's never going to be comfortable. There's never going to be the right time. You know, it's like having kids. I, I don't have kids, but that's what everyone says. Like I have two sisters that both have kids and it feels scary. And you're like, I don't know if I'm ready, but no one ever feels like they're ready. And at some point, mm -hmm. if it's something that's important to you, you just got to go for it. Yeah. And taking the leap kind of forces you to figure out the rest. I, I love all of that. I, okay. So <laughs> failure, failure, right. Is necessary to grow and failure is very uncomfortable and it's not easy. Right. So where a lot of us as human beings can relate to each other is that weird, undeniable worrying that some of us have it worse than others, right? But it's exactly what you just touched on too of just as well as you can sit there and go, okay, this is where I'm at. This is how I can justify saying that I'm safe and secure, which is kind of a false sense of security in itself, right? There's no, there's no guarantee for anything. Or, you know, instead of worrying of like, hey, I'm going to go after this thing and it all falls apart. And then it's like, oh, my God, what have I done? It could be, oh, my God, I did it. Like, mm. holy, holy shit. Like, I, I stumbled and I fell a couple of times, but I refused to go back. Like, you, you have to see that there's something commendable about, yeah, I knew I wanted to do this so much that I didn't even really take the time to have a backup plan. It was like, I'm going to do this until I can't. And then, you know, and then I'll figure I'll, it out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, being able to trust your ability as a, as a person to adapt. I mean, you do, you already have some skill sets that you can fall back on. So that's great. Um, but even if you didn't, I mean, think about it. There are people that they're like, yeah, I work at a Burger King and McDonald's and a, a, a motel overnight. And nobody wants to do that, but they're like, that's what I'm doing right now to pay the bills or whatever it is to fund their dream. 
And being able to love something or want something so bad that you just decide no matter what happens, you're going to stick to it no matter how bad it gets. Because if you can endure the bad part of it, eventually you'll get to endure the really great part of it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I do that kind of, I was like thinking about that and that kind of led me to the whole thing of, I guess my first question I want to ask you is how often, I, I mean, you're, you're essentially constantly moving around, right? So how often do you get to stay in touch with your family or friends? Mm-hmm. Like, do you guys just zoom call each other? Do you get to go home and visit fairly often just based on the fact that you're literally always always on wheels i mean right yeah that's it's it's actually interesting i um like i said for most of my 20s i lived in oregon i grew up in washington state and so i was like six hours away from home which isn't terribly far but i mean it's not you know it's it's far enough it's not easy to just jet up there for a weekend so the chunk of a day yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the irony is that I actually spend way more time with my family now than I did when I had a full-time job and lived in Oregon, but that's also intentional. Like I setting out to do this, I realized that I, you know, I don't know how much longer I have with my parents. They're both super healthy. I have no reason to think that I don't have a couple decades with them, but you know, not forever. And that time is becoming more and more precious. And my sister, you know, one of my sisters, I guess they both live in Washington. Um, one of them now lives really close to my mom and dad, and she has a, a two-year-old daughter. And it's just so much fun to, to carve out time to be a bigger part of their lives, you know, because it's, it's kind of crazy. It's so rare after we turn 18 and leave home you know, most of us have already spent most of the total amount of time that we'll spend with our parents. You know, most of that's behind us at age 18. And then we go about our lives and we have weekends here and there, short trips and things. But it felt important to me to prioritize that and at least have a couple trips per year where I visit home again. And it works out well because Leavenworth, Washington, which is like 30 minutes from the house I grew up in where my parents still live is one of my favorite places to climb in the world. And I didn't know how good it was until I left, you know, I didn't, I didn't discover climbing until I turned 18 and moved away. Um, But I've spent a lot of time there over the years. And every time I come back to it, I'm like, with the perspective of having traveled more and climbed in all these other, you know, classic areas, it's like, wow, this is really good. Actually, this is really awesome. And there's so much here to do. So that, that is super fun. And I just spent six weeks up there in the fall, uh, in November, spent a lot of family time with them. Um, got a lot of work done cause I was able to stay in their house and I had Wi-Fi and things like this, <laughs> Yeah. but the climbing's great up there too. So it's, yeah, I mean the, the friendship thing can, can be hard at times, but, um, as far as that goes, I've been really amazed at the community that has grown out of doing this podcast. Like that is a part of it that I didn't expect at all is how much it has connected me with like-minded people. Cause there's a lot of myself and like my authentic curiosity in the podcast, as you guys I'm sure have experienced with this. It's like, if someone listens to the show, your show and they like it and they appreciate it, you're, you're going to be friends. Like as soon as you meet them in person, it's like, you're already friends. Right. And it's become shocking to me how often I show up in a new climbing area 
and people recognize me. They recognize my voice or they recognize my face from Instagram or whatever. And I love that because if you listen to the show and you enjoy it and you connect with it, like we're going to get along. We're, we're <laughs> such fast friends. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I still have, you know, life, you know, lifelong friends um, that I don't get to see very often that I just stay in touch with, you know, my best friend in the world. We talk like once every couple months. Um, yeah. But you just pick right back up where you were and, you yeah. know, we're both excited for each other, both doing cool things. And, um, but yeah, community has actually been surprisingly rich living on the road. It's been really good. That's going to be pretty cool because I, I was going to ask the question of, you know, you didn't figure out the rock climbing part of it till you were 18. So I don't imagine like you grew up with anyone in middle school and high school or whatever, and you both are in love with rock climbing and, and you rock climb together and, you know, right. I, I just, the community is already fairly small. Um, so, you know, I think it is nice that you're able to learn from those people, but you also, I'm sure you guys just have fun. Like I really enjoy working out and sometimes I have buddies that it's just like, let's lift weight, you know? And, and it, like, it seems so silly. Like you're like, Hey, let's just climb a rock. And people are like, why are you guys doing that? And it's just a passion. And it's cool that you're able now. I mean, before you know it, you're just going to be a celebrity and you're never <laughs> going to be able to rock climb again. Cause every time you go, you're going to get bombarded and <laughs> autographs and no, nah, it won't get that crazy. Right. I hope not. But so, so that's really cool too, because there, there is a, a balance that I think some of us are aware and we're trying to achieve it. And I think others, maybe they're not as mindful of it, but it's still in some kind of natural form trying to happen, right? Balancing the body, the mind, and and the spirit, um, wh whatever you want to consider that. So for you, the body aspect, I think, is rock climbing. And then on top of that, a lot of the mind work would be cre being creative and doing that in the same space of rock climbing, but on the podcast. And then uh, obviously you got to a point where you acknowledged the value of time with certain individuals, which hopefully is spiritually fulfilling in some regard, right? But all that to be said of there's also got to be a balance just with the body and rock climbing, right? Which you already kind of touched on. Even if you wanted to, you could not rock climb all day, every day. I mean, at some point you would have to like, you'd have to like really hold back. So what does that look like for you, right? It, I mean, you have to take rest days. You probably have to make sure you get hydration and you've got to probably eat high protein because, I mean, how much muscle mm. do you need to rock climb? Yeah, that well, that's actually, that's a great question and a really hard one to answer. Climbers <laughs> are kind of weird. <laughs> like the um, the range of body types that you see at the highest levels of climbing are pretty shocking. And there's okay. no, there's no clear, like, you know, you watch, you, you watch, um, Olympic gymnastics and everyone kind of looks the same. Mm -hmm. They're all kind of shorter. They're all really like jacked climbing's kind of different because there's so much more variety within, you know, nature, nature gives us so many different challenges in climbing. And there's so much, like, I guess the umbrella of what rock climbing is, is really, really broad compared to something like gymnastics where you're competing on the same fixed events yeah. so oh, yeah. someone who's taller and really lanky might excel at a style of climbing that's more technical and more vertical and rewards 
technique and body positions and finesse and things like that. Whereas someone who's, you know, looks like a bulldog, just small and jacked and really muscular might do better on something steeper with big holds. And they're just climbing like the, the underside of a roof basically, but you see tons of variety. Like if you look at the two or three best climbers in the world, they're very strong. They have really high strength to weight ratios, but they look very different as far as their just heights and morphology and things like that. But yeah, to answer you, I mean, strength to weight, strength to weight ratio is really important. So training in a way that highlights that or emphasizes that is really important. Focusing more on high intensity and fewer repetitions versus doing like a bodybuilder protocol. But I do spend time in the weight room and that's kind of something I'm still trying to figure out the ideal balance of. Usually it's like, you know, at least pretending that you have an off season, I have the ability to, to travel and climb your round now, but I still take like a six week period or a two month period each year to just hang out in the gym, you know, and spend more time lifting weights, spend more time climbing on artificial climbing walls where you can target specific weaknesses really acutely. Um, hang on these little wooden boards called hang boards to train my finger strength and things like that. But yeah, like deadlifting and uh, weighted pull-ups and even bench press and, and stuff like that, just to keep the whole body healthy and strong is a really right. good foundation. And then climbing's incredibly physical. I mean, a lot of the best climbers in the world don't do any of that stuff really. I mean, some of them do, but, um, more and more now as climbing's becoming kind of more mainstream and it's in the Olympics and stuff, like people have coaches and trainers and, and things, but you can get really, really damn strong just from climbing. You know, if you do it right, yeah. if you bring intention and a lot of intensity and try hard and, and things like that, but yeah. Eating higher protein is really important. That's something I changed maybe four or five years ago and made a huge difference for me. Also really interesting. I noticed I used to always crave like muffins and scones and like baked goods and stuff. And, uh, once I started eating more protein, that totally changed. It like was really profound actually. Um, Your body was like trying to get the opposite of what you. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I don't have uh, nearly as much of a sweet tooth as I always did. It's interesting. Yeah. On the climbing, I kind of wanted to go into this. I feel like it has to relate to how you didn't have that fear when you, or at least not a big one when you were going into the unknown. Do you think some of that stems from your approach to when you do a climb that, you know, the risk, there is literally a physical risk if something goes wrong but you know that you have skills and safety involved that's going to protect you. So does that on that piece of it kind of comfort you or is there always that kind of fear or thrill, and, I guess. And just really quick before you answer that, because I'm sure like myself, everyone's just picturing you as Tom Cruise in mission Impossible <laughs> two right. doing the one handed uh, hang, which I would love to hear your opinion about that after the question right <laughs> just of like how realistic is that but yeah i i mean when you climb are you do you have any fear i mean i mean part of it's got to be like you're strapped in right right it's not um He's i mean again there, there's a there's <laughs> there's a very broad umbrella that is rock climbing so you can you know you can have climbing be as safe as you want it to be like incredibly safe or there's people like Alex Honnold, you know, that movie Free Solo. He's out there 
genuinely putting his life on the line whenever he does something like that. But there's a, a broad spectrum. And for me and for most of the people that are pursuing the physical difficulty, like the challenge of high level rock climbing, safety is not in question at all. It's it's not a thrill seeking sport. It's super safe. And I know you're skeptical when I say that, but it's it's really true. And I actually I recently interviewed this guy, uh, Brent Bargon. His episode's coming out soon, probably by the time this airs. Um but he's an engineer like me and he grew up doing motorsports and like doing dream unicycling, which I didn't even know was a thing, but you know, he's broken all these bones, motors, motocross racing and stuff like that. And in climbing, he's a total badass. Like he's done a lot of really scary kind of riskier putting yourself out there, sort of, uh, trad climbing, you know, in the mountains with not great protection and things like that. And I asked him like, has any anything you've done in climbing as extreme or scary or nerve wracking or as much of an adrenaline rush as all the stuff you did before that. And he's like, no, <laughs> it's like not even close. You know, it's not, not even close to as risky as motocross or whatever extreme unicycling is. Um, sure. but yeah, most of the climbing I do, I mostly spend my time bouldering or sport climbing. And again, there's variety because every climb is different. So sometimes, you know, going bouldering, you know, a, a boulder can be 10 feet tall or a boulder can be 30 feet tall. And mm. there's, there's a, a massive range there, but I mostly am interested in seeking out things that are a very physical and a very intellectual challenge, like the, the problem solving element of, okay, there's these small edges and these little features on the rock. How do I navigate them and figure out a sequence, a choreography for this thing? And it's much less about the risk and um, overcoming the fear and stuff like that. Because, you know, I fall all the time. I fall off boulders all the time. We have these massive foam mats, like these portable gymnastics mats called crash pads that we take out there. And we, oh, you know, cool. we, we team up with friends. And so there's a, you basically make like a giant foam pit at the base of these boulders. Or if I'm sport climbing, I'm tied into a rope and I'm lead climbing. So I'm clipping my way up. But you never fall more than maybe 10 or 15 feet and usually the rock that i'm climbing is over vertical it's like overhanging so it's it's steep right and so you just fall into air you don't hit anything you don't smash into the rock or anything like that so um as far as your question megan about the maybe conditioning the fear of failure and stuff it's not so much about the risk but there is like fear or, or failure rather in climbing is like 98% of climbing. Like most of the time I'm trying things that take me a lot of time to figure out. There's a lot of falling off before I successfully do the climb. And I think that helps a lot because you learn to reframe failure in a way that's not so binary. It's not like I didn't do it or I did it. It's more like I haven't done it yet. Yeah. I, I learned from that attempt. I know I learned three things that I can do differently next time, or I learned five things that I can work on to get stronger. Or oh, I think if I had slightly more, you know, flexibility in my hamstrings, I could reach that other foothold to make this move easier, whatever it is. But you kind of learn to frame failure as opportunity and it just helps you identify these chinks in your own armor in these, these little areas where you can improve. And that, 
all of a sudden becomes really exciting because ultimately I just want to become a better rock climber. Right. So it's, it was kind of the same thing with the podcast. Like, I think this is another thing I picked up from Tim Ferriss, but I kind of designed this strategy where there really wasn't any way to truly fail because I was going to be talking to people that I was really honored and excited to talk to. So that's awesome. That's really fun. I was going to, without even emphasizing it, I was absolutely going to become better at communicating from all the practice and from the discomfort of like putting myself out there and editing and listening to my voice and and stuff like that. And I was going to make a ton of connections. I was going to travel and climb in a lot of amazing areas and learn a lot from these people and become a better climber. I was going to open up who knows how many different opportunities for partnerships and career paths and things like that, that I'd never even considered before. You know, like I've met so many people in the climbing industry now that if the podcast hadn't worked, who knows what I'd be doing, but I have lots of doors that are open that I didn't even know existed before. Right. So you can kind of, in the same way as, as climbing, you can kind of go into something that feels scary and feels risky and feels like it's this binary. Am I going to succeed? Am I going to fail thing? But really you're getting all these things out of it along the way that make it worth trying just for its own sake. Yeah. I I was going to add, it's an investment that you made in yourself. Basically you're like, I, I know this could work. I know I could probably do this with my skill set. So I'm going to place the bet. I'm going to go for it and see what the result is. And I, I like, it's a point we make all the time. It is not binary. It is not good and bad, you know, happy, sad kind of scenario not black and white, that failure isn't always, I lost, like I lost the sport or whatever uh, you're kind of up against. It can be just, oh, that really didn't work. Probably should figure out why it didn't work. And then you work on it. (laughs) And then if you fail again, you don't go, oh, I lost. I'm going to go give up. Um, Oh, well, too bad. I'm not good at this sport. If you love it, you keep going back until you figure it out. It's kind of that obsession that you talked about earlier just getting really into why, even if it's a small thing, it keeps failing over and over again. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really important way to speak about failure is how it, it's more of a gray area than it ever is binary. And what's weird. And we bring this up all the time. One of the issues when looking back from being an adult to growing up and why some of us, feel so much adversity to what is failure and why does it feel so negative? And it's because our grading system is you either make it or you don't make it. Mm. Right. Um, And, you know, you fell at class, they sometimes make a really big deal about it. Um, Or even in sports, like you lose the game as a kid and it's like, I don't know why we ever had you. And you're like, what? Oh my God. Like I won all those other games. Yeah. Nobody cares about that. You lost this football game. This is, you know, disgrace, whatever. But I think uh, another thing too, is it's really hard to deal with the uncomfortable aspect of growing in anything. If you genuinely have no desire for it. So like, if I tried to become an engineer, the smallest kind of obstacle and I'd have been like, yeah, I'm good. Because one, I don't, I don't want to be an engineer. Um, I don't really want to be in a classroom setting doing, you know, writing papers or doing math or, you know, whatever, right? I'm making myself sound like I'm like, I am not a scholar. Right? 
but put in situations where maybe my strong suit isn't, you know, that of being like in the environment of education. I'm not comfortable there unless it's something I genuinely wholeheartedly, I'm all about it because any kind of struggle that I have, it's like, okay, I'm going to keep same thing with rock climbing. I'm going to keep trying until I figure it out and then move on to the next bigger piece of the puzzle. Right. I want to make sure that I'm able to ask you this question before we have to wrap up the, the episode through the journey thus far. I'm sure you've acquired a lot of advice and a lot of knowledge about yourself or people in general, or maybe just life as a whole. Um, for our listeners, do you have any kind of advice that you would share or any kind of thought that maybe people should ponder um, that you think would be beneficial? Yeah, I have, a, I have a few things that came that come to mind from this conversation. So yeah, I'll touch on a few different ones. Uh, the first one goes back to van life. Anyone that's curious about van life. It's such a romantic, sexy, cool seeming thing that you see on Instagram, whatever. Just find a way to save $40,000 for a fancy van and quit your job. Um, because you might not like it. And it's important to know that before you, you know, and this is a perfect analogy for so many other things in life. Like there's almost always a way to test something before committing to it. I had already lived on the road and traveled a lot and lived really simply for climbing a van was a huge upgrade for me compared to other stuff I've done. I knew I would love it, but you know, you can rent a van, like you can Airbnb someone's van. I don't know what the website is, but there's something like that for, for van life, take it out for a long weekend or, you know, like a, a week vacation and test it out. So that's one. Um, As far as the fear of like taking a leap for people that are listening, that are creative and have thought about creating something or putting themselves out there into the world and show their I think there's like two two big hang-ups that I see a lot you know the first one is just this kind of imposter syndrome of like who am I to to do this you know people count themselves out before they even try and I think you can just kind of strip that down and simplify it and say like just make the thing that you want to see and don't be attached to it succeeding or potentially failing because like, what does that even mean? Just redefine it. You know, like you don't have to have 10,000 people that like it for it to be awesome. If you like it and you're happy with what you're making or you're learning and getting better, that's worth doing in its own right. You know? And then the other thing is perfectionism. Like I see this a lot with people that are, they have some grand idea. Like a friend of mine is thinking about launching her own podcast right now. And I think she's going to be good, but she keeps episodes and recording and recording and she hasn't published anything. You know, she hasn't finished any of the edits and she just, I think is hung up on it being perfect, but you learn so much more and you learn so like exponentially faster when you actually ship the thing and just put it out into the world. It's never going to be perfect. So just, press that publish button and put something out there and start getting feedback because feedback is going to help you make it better. You're going to see it through different eyes. The second that you press publish and you know that other people are now able to see it or listen to it or read it, whatever. Um, It's so important. You know, it's, it's really easy to hide behind perfectionism, but nothing's ever going to be perfect. And you're going to get so much better through that, cyclical process of creating publishing getting feedback going back to the drawing board 
trying to do it better next time. So, yeah. um, yeah. I love all of it. that. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I like the perfectionism is kind of like procrastination at a certain point. It's just you going, Oh, one more thing, one more thing. Like I'm just going to do, and then you release it and everyone either loves it or they're like, Oh, did you notice the giant like glaring air in the back? No. Cause you kept <laughs> focusing on these other things. And then I just wanted to really quick touch on how you said, do something you want to do, even if nobody's going to see it or no one's going to buy it. That kind of resonates with me this week. I've been getting more into like my digital art again and doing that. I made a cursed Furby, like the old toy from, I don't know, the nineties, early two thousands, just a digital art of it. And it's like glitchy and terrifying looking red eyes. And it just says, come play with me. It was not for anybody. It was not like, I didn't think, oh, children are going to love this. It was just like, I messed up something on Illustrator because I was trying to figure out how to work that program. It looked awful. I messed up my Furby. It's not a cute little sticker anymore. And I just kept going with it. And then I sent it to my closest friends and they were like, oh my God, that's amazing. I'll buy that in a heartbeat. But to the greater world, no one's going to buy it. No one cares. But it's fun. Like it brought me fulfillment uh, and enjoyment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the way people loved uh, Beanie Babies back in the day, there was a, there was a following of kids, at least, that liked Furbies. Yeah. that market, you know. My I mean? dad kept ours. Oh. They're somewhere in my dad's attic right now. I'm gonna find that it. creeps. That creeps me out. <laughs> it creeps well, me uh, out. <laughs> I, I love that. I love your story, Megan, because like so many of the best things are kind of accidents you know Mm. like you have a vision for something or you think you do you think you know exactly what you want to do and then you just like stumble into things like it doesn't go that way but it turns out better than you imagined you know or or it leads to some new idea that's even better um and and you can never you never stumble into those accidents until you start moving right like you, you just have to you have to do you have to make stuff and just try stuff and you'll yeah those things will just happen on their own it's it's like magical like that's the fun part yeah yeah it just four hours later it was not where i started (laughs) do we have time can i ask you guys a question yeah of course sure i want to know so i'm always interviewing people and trying to i mean the, the reason my podcast is called the nugget climbing podcast is because i'm always trying to extract these little nuggets like these little insights of wisdom from people and it's it's not all climbing related a lot of it's like how to be a better human um so for from you guys like you've done what like 30 of these episodes this will be 29 yeah okay that's perfect so what have been some of the things that you've learned or changed your mind about or implemented into your own lives from interviewing all these people and doing this podcast Would you like me to go first or would you like to go first? I'll go first. I think for me, it it taught me not to take it way too seriously. Like it is truly human connection at the end of the day that I want to make on this podcast and help other people, even if it's, you know, a small impact. So it took kind of the weight off of it that I initially felt if I want this to be successful which was stupid for me to, you know, <laughs> go running out of a like a failure podcast and be like, I want this to be a success. So once I let that go, that kind of, you know, implanted thing just through the first few conversations of like, it doesn't matter if it's successful. I just want to talk about this and help people normalize it. 
Um, it changed a lot for me. And then back to the perfectionism thing, I'll still catch myself doing it where it feels like this is my, my child in a way, like my, my personal project that I'm putting all my effort into. I will get really OCD about it. And in that realm of, I did it a lot more at the beginning, going over something over and over again, but now it's more of like, I know that conversation was good. I was physically in it. Like, I don't need to edit the crap out of it. I am going to let a few ums go in the editing. I'm not going to get every single one because it's, it's natural and no one's going to care. I hear my favorite podcasters say, um, occasionally it's not a big deal. And I think that took the weight off of it. And now we're kind of in our flow state of just letting it naturally occur. We're attracting the right people. We have people reach out to us now, and then we're reaching out and getting a good response. And once we finally hit that, I think Sam hopefully can confirm it, it feels right. It feels like we know the direction we want to go now. Um, and there's less pressure to it, I guess. Yep. Yep. Uh, one thing that is constantly popping in my head throughout this conversation is the perspective of um, flowing like water, like naturally going with the stream versus fighting it. Right. So yeah. You know, I could say I'm quoting Bruce Lee. I could bring up Alan Watts. I can, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that's what I feel with our conversation today is there is something beautiful about the gift you receive whenever you flow naturally. Mm-hmm. So like us having this organic conversation and being, you know, open with each other. Of course, we have curiosities, but doing that with strangers like regularly uh, i mean when we first started this i just sit there as rigid as i could because i was like people are going to see this nobody want nobody wants that i didn't want that right yeah. i don't want to just be like <laughs> a statue and then the the fear of what if i say something wrong right i'm not going on here to one be overly opinionated about anything but two we're not experts. Yeah. Like we're not coming on here going, we're failure experts. We just want to talk about it. Yeah. There is a very true reality for people where they're like, I don't have the luxury to do this, that, or the other in the realm of following their passion or, or even being able to chisel out time to do, uh, you know, whatever it is that they love to do because of whatever the situation is. Usually it's like a financial thing, right? They have to work multiple jobs or whatever. But then there are other people that would call BS and be like, hey, you can do whatever you want. And there are people that get to that. And doing a podcast for any other reason than, hey, I want to create something and I want to meet people and I want to, right? Like for me, that's why I would want to do a podcast is experiencing the human condition from other people's eyes. And As soon as I started, I mean, basically what Megan said of just going, hey, like, just let it do its thing, right? Like, don't go out of your way to be evil and you'll be fine. (laughs) Flow like water. We don't, hopefully anyway. (laughs) Yeah. It's like flow like water. I mean, I genuinely picture rock climbers. I mean, you have no idea what obstacles are going to come at you, right? Every single climb has got to be its own unique experience. And that's all life is. It's just kind of dragged out for a hundred years. Yeah. Mm. I love that. I mean, I, I think I've spent a lot of my life trying to swim upstream. I, I say that a lot to people mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways, you know, in 
in trying to brainstorm business ideas that weren't that had no relevance to like what I enjoy doing or I, I mean this is interesting like I remember feeling really self-conscious about how much of a climbing nerd that I was you know like most people if I start if I get going with a climbing friend of mine and we're really geeking out everyone else around the table like their eyes glaze over they're like <laughs> what are you guys talking about yeah but it's through doubling down on that that has made like that's what has made the podcast successful not diminishing it and trying to be normal right and and there's never been a time in history where individuality and authenticity have been so rewarded just look at tiktok you know like people are just being themselves and being fucking weird and it's fascinating and there's someone yeah yeah there's like a group of people out there that totally resonate with whatever it is that you do there's so many people out there and there's for sure a thousand people that would also love the thing that that you would love to see or make or listen to or whatever and it's I, I have to relearn that all the time you know like I it's so tempting I don't know why but it's so tempting to feel like you should be more normal whatever that means um but whenever I feel that way I try to do the opposite <laughs> I feel that <laughs> it's yeah there's something there's a whole conversation in why we do the things we do and having that step back moment and going but I can do whatever I want <laughs> and then having you know the courage or whatever it is to cross that line and go I'm gonna at least try right and you know no pressure just you know live or die you choose no I'm kidding no uh, I I do I appreciate that it's an interesting question to answer I hadn't super duper thought about it I was just like podcast. I'm. We're just gonna keep doing it. No one, yeah. nothing's gonna stop us, right? Okay, so it's that time. I want to keep calling it Megan's Corner, which is where where she call. You know what I mean? Like, where I like, like audibly grow. <laughs> Welcome to Megan's Corner. Oh, oh no! And then we talk about 2008 Facebook. Uh yeah. Once again in Megan's Corner. We just wanted to remind you to subscribe wherever you are listening or viewing this. We are on YouTube. Uh, We're also on all podcast platforms. Let us know too. Like leave us a comment, rate us if you hate it or if you love it. We're we're down for either. We're not shy with that. Um, And then also we wanted to shout out the Nugget Climbing podcast. We will be adding all of his lovely stuff and links into this post. So it's probably going to be down below in the bio, wherever you are listening or viewing. And then my favorite part, which I think I say almost every time, because it is my favorite part. And I do want to hear your stories. Um, We don't want to limit who can be told on this podcast. You can email your own failure in to friendsoffailurepodcast at gmail.com. That'll also be in the bio down below. So just shoot us a little story big story funny story don't even have to put a name on it just make you know a burner account if you really (laughs) don't want anyone to know but we we like to view it as sharing stories so other people can learn from it or at least you know we can all laugh at it together however you want (laughs) to view it that kind of made me think of you'll be reading about like a movie that came out and someone's opinion and I'm talking about Reddit, right? And so there's always that person that's like, throw away account because obviously <laughs> I'm about to destroy people's lives. And you're like, 
what? And then they're like, this Marvel movie is so bad. And, blah. and, you're, and you're like, they they went out of their way to create an account so that they didn't want to be identified. <laughs> yeah, because they are about to just talk mad shit about Thor and people are not going to like that. Wow. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. I did want to say thank you for coming out. Uh, I appreciate your ability to make van life and podcasting work together. That's impressive in my book. Hey, it doesn't take much, man. A laptop and an iPhone and a little cable that connects me to my hotspot. And, uh, you know, a USB microphone, we're off to the races. So what we can't see is the the hundreds of gerbils that are running on wheels (laughs) and it's generating power for the van. Um, Off the grid. You you wouldn't believe how much money I spend in gerbil feed. It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the, The dark side of hashtag van life. (laughs) um uh well hey uh yeah awesome thanks for for coming on had a great conversation and uh you know of course i'd like to do my closing thought which is life is happening for you not to you so don't be afraid to go out there and fail i changed it look look we're out i just freestyled that and then that's how we lost our one follower. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> For the, see, I kind of had it where they were like, oh, he's talking about making gerbils run to generate power. They're like, I'm out. This is just too. I can't do it anymore. If it's not I'm stronger than you, It's I'm wiser than you, I'm more loving than you, I'm more tolerant than you, I'm more sophisticated than you. It doesn't matter what it is, but this constant competition is going on. This is the secret. This is the secret. You can't make a mistake.